Hi, welcome to the Nobody's Project Season 2. This is a podcast where I interview creatives about their process, about how they come up with what they're doing, their ruts, their struggles, the things they're afraid of. In this episode, episode two, I talked to Brent. He's one of my favorite comedians in Portland, and he's absolutely hilarious. He talks us through the pandemic and how innovative he was with the creation of The Lot. Yeah, but you don't want to be too cool either. Yeah, I know. I've uh, I've seen you perform like so many times, and I'm, I always suggest you to other people. Thanks, because like legitimately, I find you absolutely fucking hilarious. Thanks, like dude. you and Amani and Jaren, everybody who I've well, Jaren will be on season two as well. Hell yeah! But uh, everybody who I've had on, I'm not like, oh well, they're doing really well. Like I I picked up Jaren, and it wasn't because oh he just got Portland's top five sure. or something. It was. Uh, I've legitimately went to uh, went to a bunch of open mics and find you guys fucking hilarious. That's awesome. So I'm super stoked to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, the first question I always ask is, uh, what do you do for money? And then what do you do for art? Uh, every few months I call my mom and I say, look, do you want me to live with you? <laughs> uh, no, I do comedy for money. Um, I saved a bunch of money off of the pandemic uh, unemployment and so I, I don't know how much that has kind of that gave me this buffer and yeah. I was like okay I can do full-time comedy for the like once it cut off in August of 2021 I was sure. like all right I've got enough money saved to do 12 months of comedy and then as I've used comedy for income it's like all right well still about 12 months like <laughs> every month it stays you know there's still a buffer so i can keep doing it yeah you still at the year you still got the year buffer yeah, it's not I growing it's not going down but it's it's steady yeah and if the work stays steady then i'm like i wouldn't say i'm comfortable but it's like uh i'm not looking for jobs right now which is cool it's been three years since i've had to work for somebody else and really? that's like something i take pride in because the only job i had before that i was a popcorn salesman <laughs> for a city uh a city a company called Popcornopolis, so it was like a city of popcorn. But um, in my head, I'm like, "Don't run out of money, or you're gonna have to go back to Popcornopolis because that's the only place that, yeah, you know, I got a solid gourmet popcorn resume." Of course. Yeah, um, yeah I was gonna ask what you're doing beforehand, but how was taking the leap into? Was it you're like, "All right, I'm ready to get out of here, and if I can just make do, I'm all right." Or it's so funny because. <laughs> I took the leap in like February of 2020, mm. so I was anticipating, you know, like getting into comedy and getting. Oh, back. Oh, you were like, you were planning on doing it before COVID even. Yeah, and then came around. What's yeah. funny is that COVID ended up being the reason that I was able to stick with it for so long because uh, I got like a part-time gig at Harvey's, and then I was there for as a bar back for like three weeks, and then the COVID happened. So because Harvey's shut down, and I was a new employee. Uh, I just got to collect like the baseline of unemployment plus the government's, I think it was like $600, it was 600 for a time. Yeah. 600 a month, right? Something like oh, that. Dude, it, was it a week? <laughs> I think it was a week, man. Dude. I think we were making way more money. I mean, I was making more than I was making with Popcornopolis just off the government, like extra. And that stayed Damn. consistent for, cause Harvey's went out of business. Um, so like, if I was still with 
Popcornopolis, they would have either found a new position for me or laid me off because they stayed a business. But Harvey's went under, so I just got to say... Uh, that was my place of work. Yeah, yeah. I think they... Because it was open-ended for a while. We're like, maybe they're coming back. I don't know. I, I'm waiting. And so there was a lot of... Uh, I hope the Oregon unemployment department doesn't watch your podcast for i mean i don't think i did anything reach, illegal yeah. but at the same time you're getting all these mo- all this money you're like it Damn. doesn't feel right <laughs> but at the same time you think about how the government's just so brutal to people you're sure. like fuck it we yeah need a, we, we need a little bit and it wasn't like i was taking my 600 every week and like spending it i was like this is the only time in your life that this will ever happen yeah. so you better put it away keep your budget low and just run with that because well, yeah. uh and so i'm still running <laughs> i mean i'm glad that worked out but uh it's <laughs> such an lucky. interesting thing that the first time ever that everybody's like all right they'll just get a little spring break for everybody everybody just stay at home and yeah. uh, don't do anything and i think that was good because i think a lot of people just dove into their passions for sure and uh yeah thankfully it like led you to doing way more comedy were you doing as much comedy as you are now before when you had a job no uh that's always been like the hardest thing and I respect anybody who can do 40 hours a week at something that's like even something that's not challenging like if it's just clocking in clocking out it's still like a toll on your body and you gotta you don't feel free when you're you know punching in punching out and so to finish your job that's already draining to some degree and have the capacity to go do even one mic a night or you know uh that's taxing, and I yeah. I never found a way to do uh, that well. It was like I gotta ha- I'm a tunnel vision. I'm like I gotta be locked in, and <laughs> yeah. um, for better or worse, like yeah, that's that's how it's happened. There was a lot of opportunities in the pandemic, even though it was like it was bad for comedy. I mean, that's kind of yeah where we are is like a pl- this was the only comedy club for three months during the pandemic and you know we we found ways to still do what we loved and then eventually the scene rebuilt around that stuff and and now i'm doing more comedy than i ever have been yeah, i feel more like because i heard yeah. a lot of comedians talk about how the how the pandemic was terrible for comedians because every club shut down yeah but i mean that kind of brings us to i mean we're here we're at uh what's affectionately called the lot the lot and i'll let you just tell that whole story because it's it's fascinating so i guess it starts when the pandemic first hit because april i moved home to san diego from i was living in northeast portland with three different couples and they and all you? started, and me, I was in a nursery. Like, it wasn't even a technically a bedroom. I was in the nursery, <laughs> and I was like, they were both on, I could hear both of them fighting constantly every night. Some Two of them were alcoholics, and every week it just got worse. And it was like three weeks in, and I, I just packed everything and d- drove back home. And I was like, I remember leaving and be like, I hope I get to come back here at some point, but I really don't know if I ever will. Um, and I lived with my dad for almost two months until May. I moved back. I drove back up here. I got here the first night of the protest. So I was in a motel room watching, um, all that go down. Like, Oh, "Oh, welcome home. Like (laughs) I'm back. Uh, but it was more exciting than being just kind of like, it sucks when you live at home. Like, even if it's a global pandemic that causes it, you just feel bad about like 
why, why wasn't I doing good enough to like go <laughs> yeah. retreat to my own place, you know? Um, but uh, came back to Portland. And while I was in San Diego, they did this thing. Uh, this guy named Jim Pine just started doing rogue comedy in parking lots. He would go to like, he'd, he'd pick a gym and he'd release the location right before. Like he'd, so we'd all be in like an LA fitness parking lot until the security guards came and then we'd have to leave. You just, had, you just had a big PA system that you were just, or was it? He did exactly yeah. what we ended up doing, which was he got a um, FM transmitter and oh. told everybody the radio station to tune into well, in their cars. That's way more clever than I thought. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so I watched this and I, it was only, they only waited like a month. So uh, there was 30, 40 San Diego comedians out you know, sort of socially distancing. Some of them, that's the cool thing about it is that people had the option. They could stay in their car, they could wear their mask, they could hang out with their friends, they could bring their own microphone. And I, I saw that all and I knew Portland was not yet in a place that they were like, if anybody was trying it, they're like, you, you must hate people. You want to kill my grandma? And they're, you know, everybody here wants to tell you like what you should do. Um, it's kind of the charm of Portland, but. And to, so, it, to its better manner. You know, so there was like, I threw it out in April or May to the Portland board. Like, hey, this is what I did a video on the San Diego stuff. This is what's been happening. Wonder if anyone would be open to it in Portland. And I remember everybody like. Is this the comedian board? Yeah. Or, okay. I was like, uh, did you go to the government? No, no. Sorry. <laughs> the, the Portland comedy board. It sounds like there's like a, a board of trustees or something. Yeah. No, it's just a board of degenerates that usually just get on a thread and, and talk shit. But. Um, I threw it out there and I think I remember the response being like I can't believe I'm even contemplating like performing for traffic mostly like people weren't necessarily on board but um, June came restrictions were like still heavy but we could go back in bars yeah. so there was the curfew there was wow. like maybe one or two places that would have an open mic per week um, and it was very socially distanced, still not a lot of comics coming out. And that happened from June to like November. There was sporadic mics. Sometimes there would be like an outdoor. Uh, this guy named Bram used to do them like on his truck bed. Oh, yeah. But it didn't get a lot of, it, it got maybe the same 10 to 15 people. Um, and then in November, the second shutdown hit. And comedy had felt like it was like maybe coming back. There was a couple different venues. It was three times a week. And then it was back to wiped out completely. Right. And we had performed at Eastside Bar and Grill with the Dirty Angel Entertainment from like June until November. And so I remember it was like 23 straight Tuesdays we had been there. And it was like they became your family because they're the only people you get to like do the thing you love with yeah. for five months. And uh and we were like, we're not going to miss another Tuesday. Like, we're going to figure out. I'm going to take the method from San Diego and do it down in Portland. And there was enough people for the first one. We did it in the corner. We It was pouring rain. We got a generator <laughs> from my buddy's friend. I think I was following you at the time where I saw you posting about it. And it was just like a nightmare out there. Oh, it was, <laughs> it was brutal. We got this tiny tent from Walmart. Um, eight people showed up. My buddy Lucas Gubala ran the sound. He like helped figure out how the transmitter worked. It was like very, it wasn't good quality at first. It really wasn't great quality ever, but it built. And we got eight comedians to sign up and perform under that tent. 
And that was enough to make it feel like, okay, well, we could yeah. do it again next week. And the story with this lot is, like, I was driving home one day trying to figure out where we were going to do it. And this spot kind of just looked perfect. Yeah, It's not in a residential area. But before I invited everybody, I wanted to test whether or not it was, like, viable. Before sure. I invite a bunch of people, I didn't want to, yeah have everybody come and then we just get kicked out. So Lucas right. and I came here and we just played loud music for two hours and just honked and we made <laughs> as much noise as we could for two hours and nobody came. And so we were like, all right, we'll try it again next week. I, I love how that's your test though. That was a good test. I mean, it's, it's pretty clever, but just imagining you just sitting there just the entire time. Blasting me. Not like for yeah. two, but yeah, every, we're just waiting. We're like, okay, maybe a cop's going to come. Maybe somebody's annoyed by what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, maybe Omzi gives a shit, but. They're not there. They're, I mean, they're far enough out there. Nobody heard it. There wasn't even, I mean, there was maybe a camp under the bridge, but I don't think those are the type that are going to call the authorities. Um, and so eight turned into 12, turned into 20, and then the fourth week, this was kind of, we were all the way backed up here, and uh, we did a show right around Christmas, I think, and decided to do it from the from that part of the stage, or we, like, staged it there, and we had everybody park, like, a stadium seating, and just yeah. shine their lights at the stage, and uh, by the time the eighth or ninth week came, we had, like, two rows of cars, um, and every time we came, we we're like, okay, the cops are definitely coming. Like, somebody's going to come shut this down. Yeah. It keeps growing. Uh, and I was ready. I was like, Yeah, did you have explain. a whole speech ready? Yeah, I was yeah. like, look, we, we're not, an at least we're not rallying against the cops. Like, we're, <laughs> we're just trying to do our own thing. Like, um, I don't know. And they never came. But a security guard came the ninth week. And they work for Glass Lab, who owns this lot and is a workspace across the street. Sure. And he's like, "What are you? Who are you guys?" <laughs> and I gave him like a business card. I was like, oh, "We wow, are supposed to be here, yeah." Because um, I'd made it a laughs PDX website because I was right, trying yeah. to pitch the concept of like parking lot comedy to restaurants so that they could sell to go orders while we did parking lot comedy so they could it's still not a bad get. Idea. It never happened, but it was the idea. It was originally called Lots of Laughs because it was like parking. Very clever. It was a pun. Yeah. So then we're like, that's kind of stupid. And then it just became Laughs PDX because that sounded cool. Um, but the security guard, I gave him my stuff. I was like, tell the owner, you know, like, we're here just doing comedy. The owner called me the next day and he was like, do you guys have permits or insurance or anything? I was like, no. <laughs> He's like, you guys can't be there. And so I called him back and I was like, can we just do one more Tuesday? Like, cause it's been very special to the community. Can we just do like one yeah. to go out with a bang? And then I called the couple TV stations or I knew a guy who yeah. worked at a TV station, Robbie Sherman, his girlfriend's an anchor and she passed it on to her news director and they liked the story. Oh, so yeah. they came out on our last night and covered the whole thing on KGW. And they did it with this whole pitch, like, and this is their last one, so they're they're kind of looking for places to go next. And um, it was a great story. It got nominated for an Emmy Award regionally, which was cool. Really? Mm -hmm. It didn't win, but it was cool. Hey, don't take a nomination. Yeah, they got to go up to the awards ceremony or whatever. Um, Kathleen Cook was the reporter. She did a great job. She's great. Yeah. Um, 
And then the next day, we had like three or four different venues call us and be like, hey, saw your story. Like, come on down to Beaverton. We don't care about the pandemic. Like, <laughs> uh, and so from there, it just kind of rolled. The owners of the lot called me and they were like, one of the, the manager, her son works at Helium as a security guard. Oh. And she's like, I saw this story. I know how important it is to the community. Like, you guys being there is probably like, safer than just it being wide open for people to come you know do drugs and stuff and she's like so we don't mind if you just use it and so for we got to use it for the next it was a total of like 25 weeks we were there from november 2020 till may of 2021 and then things had come back enough right parking lot comedy you know and it was a lot of work oh yeah um so that was the end of that. We did my birthday roast here in September, and then we were like, "We're never." There was like a fight at the end of the roast, and I was like, "Well, we're never coming back." Here. Like, like a fight, fight. Almost, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, that was the end of of the lot. But every once in a while, I'll still come back here, just to remember. Like, I'm very grateful, like for how that all played out and what it spiraled into, and how like many. Friends is a tough word. How many close relationships with comedians I've had? Yeah. I think, you know, everybody's to a degree. It's better to find friends. I don't know. That's, That's a, a tough It's, it's a pretty hard pitch. <laughs> it's better to find friends than... <laughs> it's better to find friends. I don't know if, like, comedians yeah, it's, are the best yeah, it's, friends. It's just finding your community. Yeah, and just, yeah, like, yeah, connecting yeah. to it. But it was, cool. it was cool to connect with a bunch of people and, like, yeah. yeah. It's led to a bunch of different opportunities. So yeah, it has sure a special place in my So heart. many comedians probably share the same thing that, especially during the pandemic, got the opportunity to come out and actually perform. Ben Harkins one night here, he was drunk, but he was like, This is the coolest thing since Facebook. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds about right. It was cool. It was a good yeah, time. I mean, the actual spot, we're in a parking lot, but the actual spot is. It's kind of aesthetically pleasing in its own right. Especially at night. Like, you got the whole city backdrop behind you. You know how Helium has their whole, like, painted thing? I would always be like, we got the real thing right here, (laughs) you know? But it did not compare. Quality of comedy was low. Like, you're honking instead of laughing. How does that affect you as, like, a comedian? It's a different... You don't ever get used to it. Like, but you kind of sometimes get off and you're like oh that one got a lot of honks like that joke got some big honks and sometimes just your pacing would get a honk because people would be polite and they're like oh he wants to laugh there but if you told us a joke and immediately like six cars were like honk honk you're like that was that was good but it must be so much harder to read because a laugh is like it's involuntary so you know you're like getting somebody on that like obviously there's some fake laughs to it but with a honk nobody's like involuntarily like and i guess a little bit but well that and that's reading the, the room i guess is you could tell different fake honks from real <laughs> honks as you did it and like that's bizarre <laughs> this is a bizarre thing to even like that's the knowledge that they, like th- this is my profession and i i know honks there were a lot of comedians who had been doing comedy in portland for a long enough time that they were like nah I'm not doing that. And I can't blame them. There were also a lot of those people that came out and were like, if this is the best we got, I love comedy enough, I'm going to do it. Some people even came and tried it and were like, eh, not for me. I can't blame anybody who didn't love this form of comedy because it was bizarre. It was a fraction of what you'd get. But people were here before that drive-in feel, that like 
oh, you still get to see your friends and have a beer and like do the thing for three hours a night that we used to do every night. And now yeah. we do every night again. But uh, it was there was a good energy. And then from that, there was like kind of this there was like trauma bonding. You became like a family. <laughs> Everybody who came here and like made it through the parking lot, like really just wanted to do comedy. They weren't yeah. they weren't people who wanted to stir up shit. And so the scene had a nice like nucleus from that people who just cared about the craft and the community and building and adding shows and adding mics and seeing oh tuesday there's only one well let's get one tuesday now let's have three mics on tuesday like the schedule it, yeah pe- people stepped up for sure yeah no it felt like it really uh brought in the people who are the most passionate about comedy kind of like what you said where it it boiled it down to like if you love comedy enough, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're probably gonna be here. And that's not to say the people who weren't here didn't love comedy. Right. I think that yeah. they, people had different standards. And then what it did is it kept, like, Laughs PDX became the website for mics and shows, so that anybody yeah. else who loved comedy moving forward had a place to. I mean, it, it set the framework for where we are now. Uh, but those sites existed beforehand too, so I don't want to play it up too much <laughs> yeah. that we did anything. Um, that had never been done before. It was just timing worked out, and uh, yeah. and people got on board with it. Because if I had the idea and only like three or four of my friends came, and no one ever got on, like it didn't build, and it, we would have stopped it after two weeks. But because every week there was new people, it was like exciting to go. And this is his first time at the lot, like yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, show at the lot? Was it the roast? Was it maybe the the one that you had uh, the news come out? I think the news one was probably the most fun because there was 40 comedians that got up that night. Oh, my like, God. Uh, from there, it didn't have... It was weird once you're... Once they were allowing us to be here, it did, for <laughs> like me, lost it lost the, the cool... Yeah. For me, yeah. It was like when your parents are like, let you start drinking at the house you don't want to play beer pong with your friends there anymore you're like i guess yeah you want some risk yeah there was this whole thrill adrenaline with it yeah yeah, when you came home every night and you're like we got away with it it just felt better than uh being allowed here but it still was a necessary thing for that amount of time but i think it might have peaked the night the news was there yeah. Plus, yeah. it was a big celebration, everything like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some crazy. Like, we had a New Year's show here where we set off fireworks and like. Uh, and at that point, you're like, "Come on, somebody shut us down!" Like, <laughs> you're just trying to get people to shut you down at that point. <laughs> no, we were just convinced like this city had bigger issues than a parking lot comedy show. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, we would have people. Uh, one time, somebody like drove by to stop to text somebody and I thought that they were coming here like every time a car would come up that I didn't recognize I would go immediately over and be like hey just to try to like smooth things over and she was like I was like hey are you here for comedy she's like what what no (laughs) I was just texting and then she I explained what was happening and for the next several weeks she and her friends came and like would watch so there were a few real people that would come I say real people, non, <laughs> non-comedians that knew about it that would come and they would be like, they'd ask for the list of comedians and like, yeah. it was cool. They'd park backwards and sit 
with like blankets and open Perfect, up their yeah. back. It was like the drive-in thing. And um, I do kind of wish we had tried to publicize it more at a certain point and like do real shows where we're like maybe letting a bunch of yeah people yeah but it it was for us it was for the community um yeah. so that's okay yeah and with laughs pdx coming out of it i know that's like a big place for a lot of people like i i heard about that before i heard about you and i was like oh brent runs it and I yeah was like, oh, and that's now very cool. and now i don't so oh, it is better. i have transferred it i did two years and it was great and um but it's hard to keep track of every change in the city yeah. and things that and, and so i passed it on to somebody who has a little more energy and ability to do that he has bigger ideas as reese hendrick is his name he's already added like a podcast page um he's added a blog like i i kept it simple mics and shows so that i didn't have to do too much yeah but it's he wants to take it to the next level i'm all for it and awesome. uh it'll be cool to watch that grow awesome uh yeah we're gonna take a quick break and then uh We'll get into some more stuff. Cool. We're uh, we're back, uh, and we're going to talk way more just about Brent as a person. Uh, Uh-oh. So, <laughs> so uh, the first thing I always like to ask is, uh, what's your worst rut you've ever been in? Like, and how is your writing process? Are you a, I sit down and I write like like Ben Schwartz, or are you like more Kyle Kinane where when it comes to you, you just write it down? Uh, let's see, which one of those should I unpack first? <laughs> <laughs> you asked a process question, but I'm still thinking about the darkest days of my life. My biggest yeah, no, rut. Let's do rut. Yeah, let's, let's get into the rut and then uh, we'll go into the writing process. When I moved to Portland, I didn't do comedy for a year and a half. Uh, I moved. Were you doing comedy before? Yeah, in San Diego and I wasn't having fun. It was miserable. Uh, I, I was young and I was probably focused on the wrong things. But I was around a lot of people who were very funny and very good and hungry. And they didn't respect me at all. <laughs> and they made that clear in different ways. And some of those ways were just sh like shitty. And like, you know, I remember one time somebody called me out in front of like a like at a hang with a bunch of other comedians. And they were talking comedy and they go, you're you're not a real comedian, you know, like we're we're real comedians you're you're not doing this like we're doing this or whatever and even if that was true it it made it hurt you know just mean <laughs> it hurt and it was like trying to defend that i, I still have it in like yeah, do you still the, have the little chip on the shoulder about sure that? where you're like am i doing this the like fully in the way like but you know um and being underneath that wave of people who knew what they were doing, knew what they wanted and were getting there. Uh, I just felt like I would never, I was never going to get to that level. And so I needed to change. I was living, uh, part-time with my mom and part-time with my grandma doing popcorn in LA and San Diego and like saving money, but it was just miserable. Yeah. It was just, yeah. So I, I needed to change and I was like, I, I visited Portland once. And I really liked the city. It spoke to me in some way, like that Portlandia energy, not the energy that's here now, <laughs> but that whole like, move here, be weird, be yourself and wake yeah. up at noon. You know, like, yeah. I was like, I want Great place that. to retire. That place, I want yeah. that. I want to yeah. retire at 27 or whatever. <laughs> uh, 
And I remember everyone in San Diego was like, you're going to get depressed. And I was like, I'm miserable already. Like, they've got more bridges. Maybe that'll work. <laughs> and uh, when I moved up here, I did one open mic because I was like, oh, maybe it'll feel different. And it just didn't feel right. And so for the first year and a half I lived in Portland, I was just selling popcorn, coming home, getting high and playing Hitman 3 or whatever whatever version of hitman it was i was sure. just speed running this video game playing the same video game seeing the same roommates not leaving the house only going to costco to sell popcorn and that was probably like the combination of leaving san diego and getting to portland the biggest rut was somewhere in there yeah uh and then like november 2019 <laughs> I went to Seattle International Comedy Competition that my buddy was in the semifinals for in Longview, Washington. And uh, I met Adam Posse and a couple okay. like Portland people. And the seed was sort of planted like, maybe I could get back into this. Because uh, my buddy was from San Diego. He made the semifinals and his set was decent. But I was like, I could, I could think I could do that uh i hope he doesn't watch this <laughs> he's a good dude he's no longer doing comedy but oh yeah um, free real estate i like a week later i shaved my head because i had hair before that i did mushrooms and i got these joke ideas about being bald and i was like i'm gonna go to an open mic tonight and so i went to the space room sam whiteley was hosting and honestly the rest is history like I was back and it felt different and it felt like the people I saw in Portland that like every local scene kind of has similar figures and mm -hmm. like the cool kids the this bit and I was like just keep your head down do your open mic sets and let people come to you if they like what you're doing yeah instead of like in San Diego where I felt like I was like who's the big person I want to go oh what what can you teach yeah. me like it I just have always, since since coming back into Portland, it's like, let the comedy be the thing that guides it all. Don't don't try to, you know, win somebody over, win the bookers over, see who's, you know, uh, got all the the spots. Is like, and that's been that's been a great, yeah, that's been the difference in Portland comedy versus San Diego comedy, and the rut almost stopped me from doing it all together. But yeah. yeah. Process wise, uh, should I answer that? Yeah, no, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I had a follow up with the with, with oh, the rut. follow up with that. Go yeah. with the rut. <laughs> yeah, the rut's always interesting. That it was like a year and a half, and then as soon as you got into comedy again, it just was it. Just you just started writing more. I mean, mushrooms. I mean, we all know that 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 does help. It was a perspective thing. I had to like yeah, let that's go. The thing. Yeah, uh, I grew up a little. I think when you live. Because I grew up in San Diego. Okay. So it's a, it's a hometown feel. Like, yeah, you need to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. you. When you are in your hometown, people have this expectation of you because they've seen you grow up your whole life. That This is who you are, blah, blah, blah. You don't have a lot of freedom to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Because there's all these people. And you go to a city where you don't know anybody, you can kind of play with some things you've always wanted to, like, be or try or like you know um it was freeing to come up here and kind of let go of comedy see how miserable <laughs> things can be if you don't have anything no purpose or whatever and i guess i could have decided to be like oh i'm gonna be a massage therapist and go 
that's my purpose now and I'll join the massage therapy community and when they ban massage massages I'll make a parking lot massage <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. whatever it was I'm glad it was comedy but I needed something to grab onto to like give my life purpose to get yeah. just have a reason to get out of the house and that that's been comedy that's why I love comedy. It's like a game, you know? It keeps yeah. the calendar filled. It keeps new, exciting, random experiences. Uh, yeah, it kind of always feels fresh. Because every set, like, you can never do literally the exact same set because maybe the crowd's different. It's, like, there's so many different factors. I'm sure that's true with most things, but comedy does really seem like every single set could be wildly different. Right, and you're always trying to have the same result. So you're always trying to have it go well, but you're factoring in those yeah. different variables you know, okay i gotta move that up there all you know um this room doesn't like woke jokes this room doesn't like gay jokes well how do i you know you gotta read all that stuff and yeah how yeah. is it um you talked about it you know reading honks when you're here but how is it like reading a room and how much does like a comedian set change if it's not going well like if you're bombing do you have like, okay, I know I'll have a fail safe joke or like, how do you read rooms and how do you adjust on the fly? Or do you just, I'm just going to do my set and hope to God people like it. Yeah. I love comedians who are unapologetic. They come in and just do their shit, no matter whether the audience is like there for them or not. I'm always trying to give the people what they want. And that's, I wish I just stood by some principle and was like, this is me and this is who I am and this is what you're going to listen to. This is my message. But, like, my main message is, like, I want you to laugh. So if, like, yeah. you're a redneck, uh, I'm not going to talk about how, like, uh, why aren't there more black people in this room, you know? Like, <laughs> well, sometimes you can say that and, and it's funny, but, like, I'm not going to make people feel guilty for the, who they are, you know, right. if that... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you're there. Like, they're there to see a show. That doesn't. That makes yeah. it sound like I condone racism. Whatever I just said. <laughs> yeah, it's like if people are racist, like, no, I'll be racist for you. I just believe that there's that a great joke can make anybody laugh, regardless of what they're bringing into the show. Yeah. This is what. This is what would happen in the lot, by the way. Nice. So you would always you would get an extra minute if the train came through during your set, because you probably have to address just the, wait the, and address the yeah. train. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of shit like that, uh, are you somebody who loves doing? Right now, I feel like every comedian is just trying to get crowd work and just like do that because it it hits on the algorithm for sure how are you with that like most of your reels i've seen are not i mean you have one joke that involves the the crowd with doing drugs with your parents and stuff great joke but uh, it's not woman, necessarily crowd work there was a woman last night first time it's ever happened who said that she did meth with her dad <laughs> whoa <laughs> yeah uh it's fun that that's a built-in crowd work thing where right. you're like... But it's not like, what's your name? Like, I'll riff off that kind of right. thing. Right. Uh, I love crowd work. I think my favorite comedian that I've seen in Portland uh, is Jake Silberman, and he's a crowd work specialist. He's got this really patient approach where he's not trying to, like, hear what you said and then make the funniest quip. He hears what you said, 
thinks about it and then he asks another question and he might ask like three questions before he finds that thing that's very funny. Um, but it creates this very unique interaction and it's very, it, it's, it, it's a style that I very much appreciate. Yeah. I, I like a, somebody who can mix their material with crowd work and like maybe they don't come in. Um, okay. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. I'm just looking at the time. No, you're good. Maybe they don't come into it like automatically going, so what do you guys do, whatever. But if somebody makes themselves interesting throughout the process of you delivering your jokes, I think you're almost, it's almost your obligation to like address <laughs> this person that's, you know, yeah. throwing off the regular set. Uh, there was a month that I just did crowd work for a whole month at open mics. Like I go up with no material. That was something I think Jake and Naraj and a few other comedians have done. And uh, it's a, it's a, a valuable skill. It seems um, so tough to not have anything to fall back on. Like, but uh, you do. You have you have your jokes. If 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 the so, crowd work okay, falls so not flat, gonna, yeah. you could just go you know into your next joke, um, and it does. It falls flat all the time. <laughs> the I, it's weird to be seeking that out for the algorithm's sake, or like recording, just right, hoping yeah. for that crowd work moment. But um, my favorite comedy is a little loose and it yeah. mixes what you came to say with what those people brought you and then it fuses the you know yeah yeah that's very in the fun. moment yeah 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 um speaking of like some of the comedians that you really like do you have any like inspirations like are there any comedians that you, not just you admire but like kind of well what i've heard from most comedians is that uh your first like five ten years you're pretty much imitating other people and in a sense like you're doing your own version of whoever it is do you have anybody who maybe you didn't imitate but like took a lot of inspiration from huge fan of and you can kind of see yourself doing some of their style stylistically i don't know who i'm most like imitating um i appreciate i really like bill burr's jokes i think like He's somebody who just goes in on how he feels and yeah. like it's it's intelligent enough. He's not doing it in a way like and if you're offended, fuck you. But it's like he makes it if you're offended, you're not listening to this full thing. Like, yeah. I'm not saying this with hate. I might be saying it with anger or with emotions. But like uh, this is a real point of view and I bet a lot of you share it. And by the end of the joke, they're like, ah, you're, you're right. We, we do yeah. share elements of that. Um, I think that's great joke writing. I think Louis CK does the same type of thing where he's like, he presents an idea and people are like, whoa, but 30 seconds later, you're like, whoa, I, I'm laughing at that, that, you know, yeah. and putting uh, himself in a hole just to see if he can dig himself out. Kind yeah, of stuff. yeah. I mean, comedy is like you build the tension and then you break it. You could keep everything, uh, upbeat and like a party and some comedians do that and some people just want to come have a good time and be distracted by silly things but I think sometimes uh, the things that resonate most are the things that do create some tension like you know most things in the real world that you have yeah. to you know, resolve and if you can resolve it with a joke that's a pretty cool way of like you know uh, yeah oh, I love that um, uh Something I like to ask is, uh, do you have a joke that you absolutely love that just doesn't ever work, but you still try to make it work? Well, I like keep... Like, favorite joke that just doesn't work. 
just like it, a joke as itself. I don't know if I have. I'm sure I have several of those. There's like a whole story. I keep trying to make the fact that I have this condition called shy bladder syndrome funny. <laughs> and every time I bring it up, people just kind of get like uncomfortable. Like, Why are you telling us this? And I'll and from what I hear, those are the ones that will become great jokes as soon as I can figure out the right way of introducing this idea that I can't pee in public, uh, which is true. Or airplanes, that's where it's the most debilitating. I can't fly past Denver without having like a fucking anxiety attack. Oh, that's that sounds great. And <laughs> it's you know, as a aspiring big comedian, I'm sure that's uh, not daunting at all. Yeah, or like, yeah, no, I, that stuff keeps me up at night. But um, it's a premise and it's something where you're like, it's vulnerable, it's personal, it's original. I mean, and it's authentic. So it should be all the factors that make a good joke if I can cut the tension. Yeah. I just build it up right now and I don't have a necessarily cutting way of breaking that tension yet. And so... I don't so, know. so it's still work in progress. That one's a work that in progress. Bond that you're like, There's I'm a joke that I want to work that I know is a good joke, and in Portland they never laugh at it because it's like, <sighs> it's the fucking worst. Okay, <laughs> it's the joke. It's done well on Instagram, which doesn't mean that much, but like, it's a good joke. I say somebody just told me '90s trends are making a comeback, but they got mad when I said that's so gay. <laughs> And everybody in Portland doesn't laugh because they go, we don't say that anymore. And you're like, that's the point. The point is it's a joke <laughs> about the 90s. The Bill Burr, you're like, you're not listening to the actual joke. Yeah, if you're going to get mad just because I said that's so gay and it's triggering. Like, I, I, I'm, I don't say that anymore. That's the joke part. But if you think that we didn't say that a ton, a ton in the 90s, yeah. I, you're... I, whatever like <laughs> but there's then that joke will work in most cities that appreciate like just a joke yeah. but there's certain topics that you broach in this city that they go they do the calculus and they go straight white guy doing gay joke race joke mm -mm, no no that's not allowed and you're like well it's not racist it's racial it's not yeah. homophobic but i did say gay you know like yeah it's about intention as well, but it's it must be frustrating to have to not cater to different things, but like just know the room. And uh, the only thing I've done on that one is I say when it if it doesn't do well, I go uh, depending on your age, that joke is either a bomb or da bomb, which is an, like <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You try, you can't placate everybody though. Yeah. Um, Let's uh, let's take a quick break again, and then we'll come back, uh, and then I'll ask you some stuff. Was that a good segment? That was a good segment. Okay. I All like right. that segment. Good. All right. Part three. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah, so the biggest thing I want to talk to you about is basically it's kind of the writing process, but it's more like how you think about life, because I know that with a comedian, you don't clock in. All right, I have to be creative right now. Uh, it's like an all-day thing. So, like, where your jokes come from, how you <coughs> – excuse me. How you think about just is everything you're doing like, oh, this could be a bit every time you go to the grocery store, like you're looking at stuff or or is it you sit down, you dedicate some time to being funny and being creative? I think sometimes you feel like, oh, shit, I haven't written a new joke in a long time. <laughs> so sometimes it is sitting down and being like, well, what could I talk about? And that sometimes works. But sometimes 
you're just out with somebody or to yourself and it hits you. I think it's probably exhausting to wake up every day and go like, where's the joke? Where's the yeah. joke? Um, and it's important probably to have outlets that have nothing to do with comedy just to keep your mind like fresh. Yeah. Um, but there's not a firm process. All my jokes haven't come the same way. Um, I'm still kind of refining how they come and they're never coming fast enough. Um, and so that's how, that's how I find the jokes is, is just, you know, where I can. Yeah. Uh, I know once I have ideas, the showers where I like to like talk them out with myself and like run them, you know, uh, but then the open mics are where that's the best place to do it. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of bad ideas too, where you run them up and you go, no, oh, never mind, not that one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, always looking. Yeah. Uh, how is it balancing like knowing a joke works well uh, versus trying new stuff? Obviously, you want to try a lot of new stuff, but um, is it hard to like let a joke go? In the sense of, you know it works every time, so you know you can get that little bit of dopamine every time at the open mic if you do that joke. And that's the difference really is, are you doing it in an open mic or a show? Because if you know it works <clears throat> and you're in a room where everyone is, it's a pra it's a gym, it's a practice session. Like, yeah. Those are open mics. Yeah. Are you going to get anything out of you doing the jokes that you know work? Probably not. Maybe you could be rearranging them or trying new tags on them, and that's okay. But, like, uh, those are all useful for shows um, where you wouldn't maybe want to try new stuff. But it's like, you got to bomb. You got to, like, you have to bomb, and you have yeah. to be okay, like, being like, well, this is, might suck. Yeah. Uh, but those, that's how you take that idea to being one that works and then you stop telling it at mics and it works at shows and uh that seems like the evolution of the joke uh in the beginning you get five minutes that works and you kind of hold on to it you're like this is my five minutes yeah. you want to show everybody i got five minutes that works <laughs> but the the especially in portland where we're all going to the same open mics for the most part each yeah. night your joke even if it works by on monday by friday we've seen it work seven times what else now like you right know, you got uh, us you got us with that one you know uh speaking of bombing uh how does that affect a like your confidence and then how does imposter syndrome come in to the a the whole comedy scene as a whole but just bombing having that confidence to go back up um is it just short-term memory or you gotta feel it sometimes like sometimes it's just like oh that sucked <laughs> but the more you've been the you've sucked like that before and got out of it so like i think in the beginning the lows are very demoralizing yeah but as you experience them and can't anticipate that that's gonna happen you know like they're easier to recover from i guess i guess if you were bombing if all of a sudden you just couldn't stop bombing that might be a time to like figure out if what what's going on but um bombing is part of growing like some of my best jokes I can attribute to a terrible bomb that required me to go like just peel back some layers of, and, and find oh okay I do I can write a good joke it's just yeah uh, I had to 
eat shit first, you yeah. know, to be humbled, to realize, yeah, that, that type of stuff. Yeah, I feel like if you just crushed every single night, it would, it's, like, obviously it'd feel great, but I don't think you'd grow as fast as you probably would want. Uh, I mean, would you take <laughs> crushing every single night or bombing every other time? Crushing every, crushing every night would yeah. be fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I don't think you could crush every night with the same material. So yeah. that would take like a savant comedian to be able to just, oh, every room he goes to, he's got right. a new. Yeah. I, uh, I read the Steve Martin book yeah. and he mentioned in there that he would order something off a menu and people would lose their shit because it, they'd laugh so hard. Um, and he that's why he kind of quit comedy because he was like, it's not that it wasn't hard, it's that everybody would laugh at everything and you couldn't like get that feedback that you needed. That's my goal. Yeah. To, be to get Steve to Martin. the point where I go, oh, this is too easy. I guess I'll have to be a banjo player. You know, like, <laughs> that, I mean, that's not actually my goal, but if you lose the joy, it's, I don't know. I mean, yeah. that's a weird, not a lot of people experience that. I think so only Steve good Martin for him. is probably the good. only person experiencing that. Yeah, I could go read a menu tonight and it would make me want to quit comedy, but not yeah. for any of the same reasons. <laughs> uh, talking about goals, though, is what is your goal? Like some comedians, it's, you know, host, not maybe host a late night show. I don't even know. Like yeah. host a late night show, become a writer, um, just tour, uh, yeah. do anything like that. Do you have any like what's your next goal you're trying to hit or what's the you know biggest thing that you would want to accomplish in your comedy career dude i i i thought about this beforehand like there are long-term like accomplishments or things along the way that would be nice to hit but the truth is if i could finish this year still doing comedy and enjoying comedy that's kind of my goal every year is I love that. be finished with the year enjoying it like getting as much out of it as i i did the last year uh because i've because i've seen how like sometimes people lose the spark and i it happens all the time i mean even people who are st still doing it 30 years you see them and you're like is this guy just clock like did he lose the joy at some point yeah, in this and now process it's just a job for him yeah. and that probably does happen because you get to a point oh i can make this much money i i have to do that i'm not going to go find another skill like <laughs> this is all i have uh so just to be able because the accolades and all that they change constantly and the things that you experience that are exciting are exciting at first but if you were doing that for five years or three years it would you would feel like a oh man i'm not i'm a failure i'm a you know yeah these things that you were stoked to do. So um, if you can maintain joy throughout the ups and downs of it, or at least still maintain like a commitment to this, the craft, uh, that'd be enough for me. If I get to the end of the year and still love comedy, that was a good year. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, what about... Uh doing things outside of maybe traditional stand-up do you have any interest in is or is it is stand-up the the love or is it all things comedy whether it be you know improv sketch uh, i hate improv most people do <laughs> and not because i don't like doing it <clears throat> it's because my roommates are all improvisers and like three times a week they'll have improv class practice in our kitchen 
and it is like <laughs> I had I had roommates who did improv oh, too. God. And uh, every yeah. time I just want to come down <clears throat> where they're doing these like weird warm up games and stuff, <clears throat> and I just have <clears throat> this fantasy of walking into the kitchen, like opening the refrigerator, like grabbing some milk or something, and being like, "You know, you guys look stupid right now, right?" <laughs> That's like what I always want to do because obviously improv is about accepting. We look stupid, but we do it as a team and we support each other. But if some outsider just came in while you were practicing and was like, God, you guys are fucking idiots. And which is a little harsh, but then all of a sudden they'd be like, who, who, this is a safe space. What are, who are you? And, uh, so I do. I So absolutely no improv. Got that. <laughs> I got, I got kicked out of an improv class because I kept suggesting for the profession, I kept suggesting police officer, and they were like, I don't feel comfortable acting as a police officer. But then somebody else would be like, serial killer. And they'd be like, oh, I'm a crazy serial killer. Like, okay, fine. This city's so weird, dude. They're like, give us the name of a place. I'm like, precinct. They're like, get out of here. Uh, I love the thought of you getting kicked out of an improv group for that. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so, uh, no to improv. Uh, what about, like, writing, sketch? There was a minute uh, during the end of the San Diego phase where I was like, oh, I'll be a sitcom writer. And so I was working on, like, pilots and spec scripts. So I understand, or I'm aware of, like, act structure and, like, A plot, B plot, so, you yeah. know, how it all fits into the format. And that's cool. Um, stand-up's the thing. Yeah, It's the thing that, like, it's so direct and you get an idea and you could take it immediately. Oh, that's not the right idea. But, um, there's the a lot of person you're relying on is you for sure. Like, yeah, you got to get, find the right shows, everything. But <clears throat> if you're acting or doing something else, you know, you might have to be like, Oh, maybe this director has to have the same vibe, everything like that. Yeah. Where and stand up. It's you. Yeah. And I've watched a lot of, there's a lot of standups who found those other outlets by being great stand-ups, you know? So they were a great stand-up and then eventually someone gave them a role and they got to be an actor and, or they got a podcast idea and, and that came from who they were as a comedian and what they were pursuing. Um, I'm open to, I think we're, we have a podcast in the works. I'd be open to acting in sketches or even helping to write a sketch. But, uh, I think the primary focus is stand up and then what comes from that is is enough uh in terms of just opportunities, relationships, all the everything. It's it's kind of I trust that putting enough into stand up it's sort of that don't put all your eggs in one basket thing, but there's two sides of that is like the guys who came here there's the, the people who came to war and burned all their ships. Cause so that there was no return, you know, like they had to either win or be killed. Like they weren't going to go home retreating is like, you got to go all in on something. Right. Right. Um, balance is important, but, uh, yeah, that's the, at least for the last, most of the last eight years, it's been stand up with the little gap in there. So yeah. so yeah, I was gonna ask how long how long you've been doing it by eight years. Yeah. Um, what's the next step? Is it uh, is it just start going hitting the road, or is it moving to LA, New York? Because typically I hear the route is, you know, you get a local scene and then you either go to the one of the two big cities and then you end up in LA. 
Yeah, and then you end up moving back to Portland. Yeah. <laughs> um, New York's in the... I, I started in L.A. before I moved to San Diego, so I feel like I don't really... I'd rather go try New York and see what that's Something like. Something new, yeah. Yeah, East Coast people don't really like me, and so... <laughs> so you just like the challenge? Yeah. yeah, of yeah. trying to adapt to people who are a little more direct and confrontational. I've been raised in cities and moved to cities that are so like passive aggressively based as far as like how people socialize. I'm sure that I embody a lot of that. And East Coast <laughs> people don't have patience for me. They don't like when I have you ram- done stand up out there? Uh, a couple times. But it's more just my interactions with people who are from the East Coast. They're like there's just this sort of like lack of res- ah, what they don't really respect me like, <laughs> and I I hate that but I'm like if I moved there maybe I could figure some things out about <laughs> myself I mean moving to Portland taught me a lot about myself just in terms of that like the wokeness that it, oh, like, yeah. all the lessons that a, a straight white privileged man would need to learn and I don't like hear those and just go ah fuck you I hear yeah. them give them I I I appreciate the lesson. I don't like some of the tactics that people use to like, you have to feel this way or you, they try to guilt you or shame you into that. I can still listen and take in what you're saying without having to like condemn every part of my being, you know? Um, Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat where it's uh, it's much more about the intention, not how you do it. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, I think that's kind of what you're hitting at there. And yeah. And I think everywhere you move has the potential to like, help you grow um yeah but thinking outside of your comfort zone is huge for that eventually new york where it is right now is like because i told i sold laughs pdx so i'm trying to move from local to a little more regionally focused like nice taking more trying to put more shows in outskirts of portland seattle all these there's so many places in the pacific northwest that are like 10,000 people, maybe even less. And I think comedy can do better in those cities because they're so starved for live entertainment Yeah. that if you put, you know, if you got like, if if you put a show on and it was in a venue that seated like 200 people, 5% of the city might come out to watch your show because it's just like there's nothing to do once yeah. it's the talk of the town or the event of the night like that's the only place people want to go um, so the model this year is like trying to test where comedy can work that it hasn't been at least I in the that, last yeah. few years people don't want to come to Portland either like people that used to come here maybe to watch a show really? Yeah, they don't want to go on a date night and leave their car and like walk past a bunch of camps like but if you put it in their downtown where somewhere that's familiar to them yeah they just get a babysitter go down the street they don't have to worry about all the things they worry about when they watch the news and stuff um i think there's a lot of people who used to visit this city from not that far away they don't want to come here anymore yeah no i can i can definitely feel that though like it because i'm i'm from uh the detroit area and even that I mean, and we have the worst rap ever, um, is like, people will ask me like, oh, is Portland like safe? Is Portland like, and it's like, you live here long enough and you're like, it's fine. Like it's, people are blowing it out of proportion, but 
the outside like uh, kind of uh, attitude people have towards Portland is so soured. Where it's but it has like it has, it has merits, changed. Yeah. Yeah. Like this isn't the city that it was just yeah. three years ago. Right. Like you, it gets closer too. Like that, yeah. I feel like I see it more. Yeah, you just I don't know. I'm not. I used to be like, oh, it's it's just a bad. It's just Fox News blowing it out of proportion. Yeah, but then like. Someone, a mutual friend, got stabbed like downtown because he peed near a homeless person. And, like, Jesus. I'm like, I have to pee outside sometimes in sketchy places because I can't pee in public. So right. I could get stabbed. Like, uh, some guy tr- got kicked out of a show on Wednesday and threatened to pull a gun out and pop Jesus. somebody in the head. And I was like, people are on edge and you yeah. can't, you, you, you never really know what the dude next to you is is thinking or where his head's at. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, it, it isn't as bad as some of these Correct. people yeah. think it is. Um, and, honestly, a lot of these small towns are still experiencing their own surge in crime because people are moving from the cities to the suburbs. True. There's, yeah, it's not like they're uh, this safe community. Right. It's just familiar is what it is. It's, it's, it's kind of what we're getting for at. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, how is social media especially with how comedians are now getting a lot more popularity just through social media it used to be the more traditional routes you do really well your feature your headliner and maybe you get a 30 minute on you know comedy central whatever it is you get a special um i feel like there's a bigger rise in maybe youtube maybe uh instagram how is that whole landscape with social media and being a comedian how do you balance that do you you like have it? to. You yeah. have to balance it because if you just go hard on one, you could do great in social media for the jokes you have, but that's so it takes so much effort. You're going to stop writing jokes if you're just posting reels every day and tracking and editing and stuff. It's like, uh, but at the same time, if you're writing all these jokes and watching other people blow up on social media, you're like, I guess I got to do that too. Um, we're in a weird place with that, I think. I just saw Louie on a podcast being like, you used to have to cater to people, and now you're catering to an algorithm, and that's weird. Like, that's not, that's a, those are numbers. That's a, you know, yeah. and that's, that's a hundred, I mean, that's true. Uh, people are writing formulaic jokes and getting big numbers off of that because they right. know, oh, Chinese spy balloon, if I do a joke about that and put it out this day, and hashtag it with this million of views you know as long as it's a decent joke but if you're writing all those every week where are you peeling back the layers of yourself that you kind of need to bring to the stage at some point you know yeah. to make people feel things uh yeah it's yeah. a i really it really goes against everything that should be like art should be you know vulnerable you've mentioned that a couple times and having you cater to an algorithm just feels so like wrong and i i wonder if it'll have any effects on like how like the next generation of comedy like it it has to yeah it has to yeah um and probably not for the better no uh but it everything has like a it's like a rubber band effect. Like yeah. something will snap here, something new will come, and like 
Um, I don't know. That's it'll be a new social media thing that comes. But yeah. uh, the best comedians, the ones that do just focus on like their content, if it if it becomes good enough, someone's gonna end up being like, I need to be your social media guy. I think as long yeah, as you're yeah. if you're focused on that, eventually someone's going to connect you with the masses, even if it's like 20 years or like for Louis, he says 25. Yeah. Um, uh, but I bet I definitely say, I say that, but I also do post reels with the intent of yeah. trying to build followers. What's my intention of building followers? Eh, there's a way to translate that to butts and seats. You know, uh, yeah. you start to, Put yourself out there as like selling tickets to shows people want to double ch if they've never heard of you they want to go oh okay he's got this many followers yeah. and so there is a direct way that that can translate to new people seeing you live and in person doing the thing that you, you yeah. were trying to you're, do you're obviously going to take three p three new people seeing you at an open mic over a hundred people seeing a reel right like it, but if that translates a little bit to people actually seeing you in person Basically, you'd rather have people see you in person than just your online presence. I would yeah, assume. but it's a funnel effect. So, like, you got to catch their attention, then make them engaged enough to go, where's he performing? Oh, he's in my area. And there's like levels along that. You got to have a website, you got to have yeah. an email list, and like all that's the stuff we're talking about that none of that makes you funnier. But if you're just focusing on being funnier, no one's going to see it. You're not going to get money, and at a certain point, you're going to need that money to keep going, or you're going to have to work for Popcornopolis again. So it's like <laughs> those, it's such a balance. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to become a great comedian on Instagram. You're going to become a great comedian night in, night out at the open mics and, and the shows. Um, but that is the way you're going to reach somebody in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, <laughs> yeah. from Portland. So. You know, and especially with stuff like a podcast, those people don't need to see you live. So you need to cast a big net and uh, right. social media does that. But, you know, social media isn't making anybody funnier. No. Um, so keeping those two things in mind, I, I don't know. It's a balancing act for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I really like how you how it's like hey, just make sure it's at the stage and that can help but it's not helping you become funnier and that's i think that's an important point right uh one of the last questions i like to ask is what would you consider uh making it big or like what's your end i wouldn't even say end goal but like when you go like oh i've made it i've done anything like that is it i mean enjoying comedy that's the big one for sure uh you know making a living off it but is there any goals you want to hit in terms of like, oh, I'd love to start headlighting a tour, like something of those natures. Like what's hmm. the big, like big goal for Brent? That guy who told me that I, I wasn't a real comedian. <laughs> I, I want that guy to open for me someday. <laughs> and you just be really nice and just don't, you, like, you don't even remember him. You're just like, oh yeah, you're an opening act. And yeah, maybe I don't even... <laughs> Yeah, maybe I don't even talk to him or whatever, but uh, or maybe I do. Maybe we're buddies. Maybe I tell him how much that hurt me, but, yeah. you know, whatever. It, it, no, that's not a goal. That's <laughs> That'd be weird to be just doing comedy as, like, a revenge. Yeah. But, 
make for a good movie. You know? 30 years was always, like, if I could do comedy until I'm 60, with the same thing of, like, each year, I'm still enjoying it, uh, that's going to feel like I, that's what I'm set at, like, that's going to require not just enjoying it, but also, like, living till 60. So you got to take, <laughs> you got to take care of yourself, too. And that's something's, sometimes that gets lost in it all, like, you take every gig, you go out on everywhere, and you you realize, oh, I haven't slept like well or ate well in like yeah months. Just and living so, at open mics, I mean, they're all at bars, and you feel it on your body. And I'm 32, and I'm like, all right, I gotta I gotta start doing different things health wise if I even want to make it 28 more years doing comedy. But I know it's gonna take that long to be the comedian that I like really want to be. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's less for me about, uh, actual accomplishments or like monetary achievements yeah. and more like, can, can I sustain what I've been doing? Cause I'm, I appreciate if, if, if any, if every year is like the last three years, it'll just gradually get better and I won't need to chase anything. I'll just, and I think your process will get refined every year. It gets a little, you know, you never like nail, oh, that's my process. And that's, I just clock in here to here and, and I get eight jokes and that's my, how I get it. It's always going to vary. But sure. uh, if, if I can continue to do it at the rate I know you have to do it to get better yeah. for another 28 years, then I, that's, right. the, that's the long-term goal. I love that. Yeah. Um, Two more questions. Uh, if you could be a feature for any comedian on tour, which comedian would you want to be featuring for? Like maybe just get to know that comedian and be on tour with them or? I think it'd, I think it'd be cool to be Bill Burr's feature for yeah, sure. Gonna... <laughs> I don't, cause that would mean he had to like me. Yeah. <laughs> that, that'd be kind of cool. There's, com there's comedians who are like, they're your favorites, and you're like, would they hear five minutes of my stuff and be like, Ooh, like I don't <laughs> see. Are you a? Uh, would you like? Would you want them to hear that with the potential of then? Like, do you think you're at the point now where? <laughs> so you wouldn't want Bill Burr to hear your jokes right now. You you'd want to wait I would until be you're curious. like, I'm ready for him to give me the judgment. <laughs> I would not be sending any tapes to Bill Burr with intention of getting anything right now. Well, but yeah. it would be like, if he was here, I would be curious what he thought of the last joke I wrote. Like, the if, if I could run... Because the last joke I wrote is what I think is my best joke so far. Yeah. And uh, my next joke might be better than that, ideally. But if I could run that by him and he had any interest in it at all, then I'd be... You're just mild, like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that would feel good. I'd, I'd take that. Yeah. Um, oh, I love for that. For sure. Um, yeah, last question is just... If you could talk to the person just starting out, you said you've been doing comedy eight years? Ten, yeah. Eight years? Yeah. Uh, what would you tell them? A little, a little cheesy one, but I think it's fun. Uh, if I could talk to somebody just starting comedy or yourself or yourself when you're just starting or or somebody who is just starting I, 
I guess I would tell them, um, don't ever feel like you have to do this. You know? Yeah, I love that. Don't ever come out because you think that's what you need to do. Or, like, don't tell a joke a certain way because... Yeah, just do it because you want to, you know? Uh, yeah, I love that. Or because it gives you, it's doing something for you, you yeah. know? Because um, there's people who get everything they wanted and then you talk to them and they're like miserable. Yeah. Uh, that'd, be a, that'd be a shame to work <laughs> your ass off, to get the things you wanted, get them and then be less happy than the guy who wanted them in the first place. That, yeah. That would be somebody who probably took a route that didn't feel authentic to them at a certain point. Uh, but starting comedy also, just like, be okay not getting anything for yeah. several years because you, you, or don't even think that you, yeah. <laughs> it's going to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a quick process at all. And there's, it's, it's like anything, you're not going to start great right so yeah. the key is finding the things in the struggle that are still fun yeah and enjoyable or challenging or like you know yeah yeah like, i mean if you've watched this podcast I, I love doing the video stuff but i mean you watch the first season and i fucked up so much of it but i love doing it so i and so I, i'm just gonna keep doing it that's the like every year you should be able to look back and listen to a set and go oh god i can't <laughs> listen to that and yeah. then the sets you're proud of right now should be the same thing. Like you look yeah. back a, a few years. Ago, I was proud of that. Yeah. But that's the only way you have to be proud in the moment. That's the best you can do. But there should be, like, and it's never linear. But you should be charting growth. Yeah. You know. Yeah. At least, at least, at least taking yeah. stock of it. Because like going back through my old photos, videos, it's I, I enjoy going back through it. But I'm like I am so much. Like I was so bad, and I thought I was so good. Like. But you learn when you watch all the other things. You're like, well, this is something that I do that's a bad habit. I, I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, so you do have to, like, reflect and watch your stuff that makes you cringe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, do you like recording and watching yourself? Or are you somebody who's like, I put it out there, it's fine? Or are you analyzing? I mean, obviously, you go back a little bit. But I'm for sure. I'm for sure analyzing. Oh, yeah? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll listen to the sets the next day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the 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 good ones I'll listen to more than the bad ones, but I'm Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm there's probably like a some some form of narcissism driving that, but like I, mean, I stand up has a little bit yeah, of that so built I'm, in. I'm I don't watch myself like, "Oh, I'm like oh, nice. It's getting better, you know?" <laughs> yeah. Like it's a third party like, "This guy, yeah, he'll he'll, he'll be okay. He'll be all right." Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> figured it out. Uh, but yeah, um, dude, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming to the lot, dude. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, as the train's going, we'll uh, get on out of here. But I'll plug all your shit and do all that cool. stuff. But cool. uh, dude, super fun. I'm uh, I'm glad you came me. on. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, dude. Thank you. Yeah, that was fun.